Welcome fellow traveller to the Tent Talks podcast where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. Time to time, churches and other groups hire me as a tent theologian to act as a sort of consultant, helping them think Christianly about whatever it is they're going through. St Luke's Church in London hired me a few months ago to go through the Sermon on the Mount with them, and I recorded a series of conversations with the Vicar John and with other guests who came and joined our conversation from time to time. They were kind enough to allow these recordings to be released on the podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing them as much as we enjoyed making them. Joining me once again, our long-time friend now, Dr. Stephen Backhouse, recording from another location in his house because of the, escaping the dust of the building work that's yeah, going on. Yeah, a little bit of building work going on, which means that my shed has become too dusty and also lost its electricity. So I don't know if you can hear the echo. I'm, I've tried to get into a place where there's no echo, but I don't, it's not going to... I think you can probably still hear the echoing of my living room right now. No, I think you, you've actually found a really uh, a good corner. In fact, you look... Uh, very much like a, a radio DJ with your mic just propped up in front of you and your headphones on. And yeah. um, we might have hit hit levels of professionalism as as yet unseen. It took till now. It took till now <laughs> to do it. Yeah, exactly. Don't worry. It only took the penultimate episode of the second series to get there. <laughs> um, but we are here looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And here we are in Chapter 7. And here we are coming to the end. Yeah. And in fact, this is going to be our last episode i said penultimate but this will be our last episode around a particular text our last last episode will be next week it will be live with Stephen, uh where we will have an open q a uh, and we'll send the link around for that because we want to tackle anything that has come up over the course of the last few weeks for you as you've tuned in to hear about the sermon on the mount so so we won't root it in any particular text we'll go any which way over the course of matthew chapter five six and any seven. question any question for further discussion that would be fun and uh, i'll pass most of them over to Stephen, and uh, <laughs> that'll be the way it will work uh, but this will be our final episode looking at a particular passage next week we will have open q a so to get us going today we are going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And it's a passage that Colin looked at uh, on Sunday. And I'll begin reading from N.T. Wright's Kingdom New Testament. Watch out for false prophets. They will come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are hungry wolves. You'll be able to tell them by the fruit they bear. You don't find grapes growing on thorn bushes, do you, or figs on thistles? Well, in the same way, good trees produce good fruit, and bad trees produce bad fruit. Actually, good trees can't produce bad fruit, nor can bad ones produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown on the fire. So you must recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone says to me, Master, Master, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only people who do the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, lots of people will say to me, 
Master, Master, we prophesied in your name, didn't we? We cast out demons in your name. We performed lots of powerful deeds in your name. And then I will have to say to them, I never knew you. You're a bunch of evildoers. Go away from me. I mean, that's quite punchy for the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not quite the end of the Sermon on the Mount because uh, for those eagle-eyed of you or, or those who know the text really well, we actually end the Sermon on the Mount with the parable of the wise man and the foolish man building upon sand or upon rock. And we actually looked at that at the beginning of our series many, many, many weeks ago uh, to begin our series because indeed that was what we felt was a summary of why we should listen to the teachings of Jesus. And then we went into the teachings of Jesus. So this is how we're going to end yeah. today here with Jesus's very strong words. I never knew you. You're a bunch of evildoers. Go away from me. <laughs> so here we go, right? The, the warning against false prophets. You're a charismatic. Have you heard this? Have you heard any, any charismatic prophetic Christian ever take this seriously? I mean, I, I often, I, uh -huh. mean, I think what, often what? I've, I, well, I think that it gets, it gets thrown around quite readily, doesn't it? The kind of, this person's a false prophet, this person's not. I think actually, you know, when I think about the early days of the charismatic movement in the, in the nineties, there was a lot of false prophet labeling often by those that didn't understand necessarily, or maybe they understood, but they didn't believe that the, the charisma that was being exhibited was of God. Okay. And so there was, a, you know, it was almost like an anti-charismatic uh, claim that these people were false, pro you know, claiming that healings could, were taking place, claiming that they were hearing from God in a supernatural prophetic way. Yeah. That was a, that was in indeed itself a, an act of false prophecy. So that's often where I've heard it actually. Uh, well, where I used, used to hear it a lot was about those critiquing the charismatic movement. And then of course, within the charismatic there, there movement, there are those that would label one another Mm -hmm. as false prophets um so it, it it gets talked about quite a lot and what is the criteria for being a false prophet <laughs> it's often been that those whom i disagree with <laughs> and, right. uh, yeah, and yeah. that's often how it ends up being uh like that i mean I, I when i read this passage and we like i said we talked about it on sunday one of the things that i was reminded of was a conversation that took place i think it was um in in our mark's gospel conversations around prophets uh, millstone around your neck, yeah. you, know, be, you know, people leading others away through false teaching. And I remember the conversation that we had there where you talked about the idea of, of false prophets actually just saying the words that their, the, their audience with itching ears right. want to hear. Yeah. And so as I read this passage again, that idea and that kind of, that theme kind of sprung up yeah. again for me that actually how do we define false prophets? It's, in a sense, it's by those who are trying to say the things that are, that, that are popular or say the yeah. things that others want them to say. Yeah. So should we just reiterate? That's really important. And let's just in case somebody has noticed or forgotten that or, or missed that. Yeah. Or we brought let's up go before, over that. That a false prophet is not false because they got their predictions wrong or because they pointed somebody out in the crowd and got it wrong. Like being a false prophet isn't to do with the content of your message. Mm -hmm. Really? Be 
in the Old and New Testaments, especially in the Hebrew Scriptures, the false prophet is the one who speaks what itching ears want to hear. So they're, they're the one that don't take. Uh, essentially, it's about power. So if you think about your typical thing, you think about, I don't know, Nathan coming towards David or think of uh, Amos, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets coming towards the king or the priest, the person who with, with all the power. And the, the prophet then comes to the one with all the power. And the prophet then says to the priest or the king, you think you've got it all sorted. You think you've got everything sewn up. You think you're doing everything in a holy way. But God is here to tell you today that you have forgotten the cause of the oppressed. Or mm. I hate your sacrifices. I desire yeah. mercy. Not So the priest is all, or the prophet is always the one. Essentially, notice that the prophet is almost always speaking against people who already call themselves people of God. Yes. Who are putting themselves up in the place of the people of God. Now, that's not always true. Sometimes the prophet is going against like enemy generals and pagan kings and things. Yeah. But the prophet is always somebody bringing truth into places of power. Yeah. All right. And so the false prophet is the one who then basically props up the places of power. It yeah. tells the popular consensus. It tells the king or the priest exactly what they already want to hear. And you can see that that is how a lab you're labeled a false prophet in the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah. And, um, and so that's the kind of thing to think in mind here, that it's not so much that, oh, you predicted the, the wrong weather pattern, or you predicted that the wrong ruler would arise, or you predicted the outcome of this army, this battle wrong. That's not the point. It's like when a king gets the, you know, the, the prophet says, I want, you to, I want you to pronounce that we will win. Mm -hmm. And the prophet says, no, I can't do that. I can only tell you what God wants to tell you. I can't tell you what you want to hear. So that's the that's the sort of kind of a headline there for prophets. And, and then if you want to extend it a bit further, which you have just done, which is exactly right, that a place of power is not just a person. It can also be the room. And if you think about it in terms of popular, the popular mood or the common sense of the room that you're in. So if you stand up and you give your prophecy and everybody applauds, you're probably in a false prophet territory right now. So, you know, classically with, you know, with like politics, whatever, like if you are a Republican and you stand up in a room filled with Republicans and you say, I'm here to tell you today that Donald Trump will be the next president and everybody claps for you. Well, then you're actually just playing to the room. Yeah. And you're right. That is a huge power structure, isn't it? Because right. you, you and I do both do public speaking in a variety yeah. of contexts. Yeah. We feel the weight of when something is challenging. Yeah. You yeah. know, when we, we got something prepared and we know that this could go belly up. Yes. Yes. In terms of how it will be received. It does, and what's interesting is it has, it has an effect on our willingness to engage with truth. Yeah. Because how, however true it might be in black and white on our paper, on our paper, as we deliver it, it's almost like we're we're wanting to cut corners off the truth to make it more palatable for the because, power that is within the crowd. Because the room wants to hear that it's right. Yeah. So this is why I deliberately started with this idea of the Republican. So it doesn't take it doesn't risk anything to stand up in a room full of Republicans and say the Republican candidate is going to win. Mm -hmm. But what if you were a, a left wing 
Christian and you're in a room filled with left-wing Christians. And the left-wing Christians were all like totally convinced of their correctness. Yeah. And they were, they were there and they're all speaking with one voice. And you stand up and you're the prophet and you say, I'm here to tell you today that, that your side might not win. That there are other people out there. There are other views, right? Like, and if you presented this fact that like the common consensus in the room is not the whole story. That's the challenge, right? That's basically what the prophet is always bringing to these groups. That you think yeah. that you've got all the answers, but I'm here to tell you there's more than you just think. Like there are people out there who aren't left-wing Christians and you need to pay attention to them too or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it actually doesn't, and I mean, this is why, by the way, you should always stay away from predicting presidents and kings and stuff. It's just ridiculous. But <laughs> we get focused on the prediction aspect of it rather than on the, well, who, what room, what was the mood of the room? And were you bringing anything new to that room that they hadn't already heard yet that they needed to hear? Like, and mm -hmm. that's, I think, more where being a false prophet is which is related now to our passage, because if you remember, I always like reading the verse just before. Yeah. Because obviously the verse just before was, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. Right. And if, we, if you'll remember from last week or the last time we talked about this, it's, it, it's kind of saying like, look around you, what are most people doing right now? Does that lead to life? Narrow is the way that leads to life. Like, most people enthusiastically follow routes that lead to destruction. Yeah. Common sense leads to destruction all the time. Yeah. And then immediately following that little thing about narrow is the way that leads to life. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Yeah. Beware of people who are just speaking to the room, who are, who are pressing your buttons and making you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. who are gathering a large crowd of people together who are all going to shout in unison, right? Because wherever you find a whole bunch of people shouting one thing and like agreeing about something, you can be absolutely sure that they have, there's something they're missing. Mm -hmm. You can be sure that, that wherever a group says, we have the truth, like you always will find more that they've forgotten, something they've forgotten, something they're missing out or a person that they're forgetting about. They've forgotten the cause of the oppressed and the lonely, yeah. the widow and the orphan, that kind of thing. So the idea of being a false prophet is connected in the Sermon on the Mount with, with leading the broad way that leads to destruction. Yeah. So he says, you know, um, beware of false prophets who come to you garbed as sheep, but who are ravenous wolves. So there's this idea that like, they're going to, they look like they're part of the flock, but they're going to tear you up. And, and it could be that they are intent. Now, this is the other thing is we like to think, don't we, that, that a false prophet is somebody who knows that they're false and they're, tr they're intentionally trying to deceive you. Yes. To take your money or whatever. And that's what we think of when we see that. Yeah, there's an intent there. They, they, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but they're, but they're actually wolves. Yeah. There's not the intent here. If you look at this, these false prophets, they think they're true. They aren't uh con men right they they are sheep but jesus is saying they they think they're sheep as well but watch yeah. out they're actually going to destroy you yeah interesting this is not about like people who intentionally are trying to deceive you these are people who are 
fully committed to the cause and think that what they're doing is building up the sheep. Yeah. yeah. And what they usually think they're doing by building up the sheep is getting more sheep into the fold. Yeah. Numbers. It's usually connected to popularity or like we are creating spaces in which our numbers are growing ever more and more. Mm. More and more sheep are bleating in one voice. Yeah. Right? And he says, but look, you're going to know them by their fruits. Persons do not gather grapes from thorns or figs from thistles. So every good tree produces good fruits, but the diseased tree produces bad fruits. Mm-hmm. Now, again, a false prophet. And again, we, we got to stop saying the word false as if people think, know that they're false. Like, yeah, yeah. The really well-intentioned person who stands up in a crowd of people and gives their pr- prophecy and then everybody cheers for them and gives them a full-time job and a book deal. Hmm. they don't think they're false prophets no and if you ask them why aren't you are a false prophet they'd say well look how many look at my book deal yeah look how many people come to my church yeah can't be false yeah Yeah. a million people don't lie yeah yeah jesus says broad is the way that leads to destruction (laughs) a million people can lie actually so does that mean that popularity (laughs) by definition is therefore the the litmus test for false prophethood. Well, it's super dangerous. Like popularity is the thing that we naturally humans naturally assume if it's popular, it must be true and good. Yeah. And we think that the more popular a thing is, or the more people are in our mega church, or the more people are subscribing to our podcast, or the more people mm-hmm. right, or the pe- more people who come to the front after we give an altar call. Yeah. We think that numbers makes the ice that we're standing on thicker right okay we're like oh it must be the more people who are positively responding to this message the more true the more secure i can i think it is and it's in fact the other way around that popularity is thin ice it's not thick and that the more people who are responding to your message that's the date the more there's danger but jesus's life by the way or he yeah. runs away from crowds and he, he flees from crowds. And he, John tells us he does not trust himself to the crowds because he knows what's in the heart of a man. His popularity is fickle. And it's and there for its own reasons. It's People are flocking together in these big movements. You see this all the time with a lot of these revival movements and stuff. That they're, they're really just more kind of in love with their own movement. Because it's intoxicating to be in a room filled with people who are all shouting the same thing. Yeah. And they're kind of drunk on it and, mm. and it's self-perpetuating. And you're like, at those moments, that's when you're actually on the thinnest device. Yeah. And of course, the movement of Jesus ends, at least one side of the resurrection anyway, ends with Jesus being the most alone person on earth in that moment. Yeah, right. And, and then you, you watch this happen in the rest of the New Testament, that, that, that numbers, for instance, like when 5,000 are added to their number in one day in the book of Acts, for example, like these, these things actually lead to problems. It's not triumphalistic. So it's, it is just a fact. Like there are thousands of people who are connected, who, who are associated with the Jesus movement. Like that's the fact. But they're not offering it as if it's proof of anything good about it. They're okay. just saying, this is true. Now it's come with more problems. For example, yeah. we are now forgetting to feed the widows. So we need to hire a bunch of people to help us feed widows because we've grown too big. 
because our numbers have kind of taken over a bit and we're we, and, and it's you can see this happening even here in this where jesus is like almost warning or predicting that the sermon on the mount community is going to have people come to it and they're going to have a character of their own and they're going to want to be tempted to think that the people are there to be served with signs and wonders mm -hmm. with 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 the kinds of activities that naturally attract more people. So and we're going to call that fruit, right? So this is where this idea that the false prophet, let's say, watch out that you're actually paying attention to the real fruits because you'd want to, the false prophet will say, look at all the fruits. The fruits are the people who are joining the church or the fruits are the Lord, Lord. Look, look at the things that they do, right? Didn't we prophesy in your name? This is verse 22. We yeah. exercised demons, yeah. performed many acts of power. So we're shouting, Lord, Lord, we're doing all these things. These are, if you have a person in your church who is eloquently shout, singing the name of the Lord, who is casting out demons, who is walking in power, who is raising the dead, who is prophesying, that person is not on the margins that is a superstar pillar member of your community, right? Mm -hmm. Like this isn't kind of watch out for that sort of weird person on the margins who's whispering heretical teaching. Yeah. This is pay attention to the main central pillars of your community. Like Jesus is shining a light on those people right now. Mm. And he's not saying they are intentionally fooling you. He's not saying that. But he is saying they are false prophets based on their obedience to Jesus. And that's the criteria. That's the criteria. And that the, the, even the ones who are the superstar pillar Christians, they are described as workers of lawlessness. Ones who are not obeying the law. Which, of course, we've just finished reading three chapters of the law from Jesus's point of view. He's not talking about Leviticus. He's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. By this stage. Yeah. And like the doing of it, I know I know evangelicals. I know we're all sort of addicted to thinking we're saved by grace and not works and that kind of stuff. But like a Scott McKnight, I know you like Scott McKnight. He says of this, he says, look, we are saved by faith, but we're judged by our works. <laughs> hmm. And that. You just got to deal with it. I know if you, I know if you're an evangelical and you don't like the idea of works. Yeah. Jesus talks about works all the time, by the yeah. way. And this is how he judges people. He says, you are not actually doing the things that I've just said in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. I didn't tell you to raise the dead. I didn't tell you to prophesy in my name. I didn't tell you to worship loudly in my name. I told you, right, to turn the other cheek. Yeah. <laughs> I told you not to swear oaths to institutions and public apparatus in order to pave your way through society. It seems like the theme as we um, look at that final uh, bit where, where he, he says, you know, look at, look, at, look at the most significant pillar of your church community and, you know, they are false prophets and the criteria by which you judge that is because of their obedience to Jesus. It seems again, the theme that we can see woven throughout that, as well as what's been woven over the last few a few weeks, as we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, is the difference between externals 
and internals. Because on all the things that Jesus says, look at this person who who prophesied in your name, uh, cast out demons, lots of powerful deeds in your name. Yeah. Um, those are all externals, which is a problem only when they're at odds with what's going on internally. That is when they're right. problematic. So it's not saying a, a false prophet is the person who, who, who prophesies. So I think you were hit with this, like, you know, during the, the, the rise of the charismatic renewal movement or whatever, all these conservatives said, basically, anybody who tries to move in the spirit is instantly a false prophet. Yeah. Just by, just by, just by prophesying, you've become a false prophet. Yeah, yeah. That's not at all what's happening here. It's saying, it's saying the, the works of prophecy, the works of healing, the works of exorcism, those are not the fruits of the Sermon on the Mount. That's all he's saying. He's not saying don't prophesy, don't exercise demons. Yeah. He's not saying that. He's just saying, watch out. These pillars that we all look to, these heroes of the faith that we are, you're going to be tempted to look at, discern correctly what the fruits are yeah. here. You're not looking at the right thing if those are the things you're looking at. And that doesn't mean that exercising demons and healing the sick is bad. Obviously not. No. And that would be ridiculous. Jesus doesn't say don't do that. No, in fact, he says... Do that. <laughs> but that's not the fruits. The fruits in the Sermon on the Mount are doing God's will. And God's will is Jesus's words. Yeah. In the Sermon on the Mount. Um, right. So very simply, Christian leaders or public Christian figures who do not do the sermon are false prophets. Hmm. Nothing to do with their Holy Spirit activity. Nothing and, to do and with their their correct predictions of presidential elections or anything like that and would those fruits be the things that we then later see in galatians as like the fruits of the spirit where no 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 you're going you're thinking too hard there's a sermon <laughs> on the mount okay you just said it this is the end of the sermon on the mount and i've just told you it's okay like i've just told you some of them like and it's not rocket science yeah okay do your christian leaders think that it's okay to kill a human being to protect their nation do your christian leaders think that it's all right to swear oaths of allegiance to their countries or institutions hmm. do your christian leaders i don't know indulge in well there's anger and murder for a start anxiety yeah do they do they call people fools do they dismiss other human beings as irrelevant to their lives do they live a life of anxiety about money do they despise money jesus says you can only love god you must love god and despise money he says do not be anxious about anything like the, these are the fruits wow. these are the fruits it's the sermon on the mount wow yeah and by that criteria it's not hard for me to point out almost all of our celebrity christians are actually false prophets oh well and not just them but you know I, that I, 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 me personally, I find that challenging. You know? Yeah, of course, of course. So again, but remember, like, this is the kind of leadership aspect. This is kind of these are the people who you're looking to. Uh, these are the people who are setting themselves up as leaders as well, in some ways. And and elsewhere, Jesus says, "Don't be so quick to become a teacher of others. Don't be so quick to take leadership, hmm. because the measure that is applied against you is going to be higher. Like, you're, you're, more is demanded of you." And yeah, that's just the same sort of thing happening here. Yeah. 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 He doesn't talk about what to do with the false prophets, by the way. <laughs> he 
he's more he's more concerned about like discerning good from bad than about like punishing the bad. He's not talking about punishment here. Yeah. He just he sends them away from him, but he doesn't. We don't really know what he does. There's no clue here as to what like I'm supposed to do in the presence of a false prophet, Mm -hmm. Um, except to just recognize they're false prophets. Yeah. So then you have this word evildoers. I don't know what it's translated in. Well, they're workers of they're they're lawless people. It's connected to the law, works of lawlessness or lawless people. Uh, David Bentley Hart here calls them workers of lawlessness. Hmm. So it's related specifically to to whether they obey God's the voice of God. Okay. But by this stage, the voice of God is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And because, of course, this idea of prophets is actually woven throughout the whole of the sermon. He begins the Sermon on the Mount talking about the law and the prophets being fulfilled. Uh, And then he just before we got to the narrow and and wide path, we got to. So whatever you want people to do to you, do just that to them. Yes, this is what the law and the prophets are all about. So there's. And uh, and also he says, be be joyful when people persecute you, because in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. Right. And you've got, you got to keep thinking, well, who are those prophets then? He's not just talking yeah. about some self-styled person who says, I'm a prophet, and they started a website in their own name <laughs> and have their own ministry. Like that, For kind of, you got to forget about, there's a whole lot of like yeah. baggage, charismatic um, yeah. indus- industry, like literally industry. People yeah. making money are being prophets. Yeah. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the people who are sort of setting themselves up in the realm of the Isaiah, the Jeremiah, the Amos, the Obadiah. The ones who are saying, you all think you've got it sorted, but you have forgotten something. And the God wants to speak truth into this place of power right now. So, and Jesus so, says, You're, that's you, you know, like they're going to persecute you. When you do the Sermon on the Mount, you will be this voice speaking truth to power. And so when, when we think about that for our own lives, it's incredibly challenging to live this way. No wonder it's narrow, right? Um, to live yeah. that kind of live that way how do we reconcile that you know i feel the weightiness of that passage i feel the weightiness of gosh my life doesn't live up to that is he calling a particular group to be prophetic in that way is he saying this is how you should hold your leaders to account or is he saying this is you know whether we like it or not this is what he is calling all of us who consider ourselves followers of jesus this is what he's calling us to and in which case, how do we carry that? How do we how do we carry that without that being so weighty and burdensome? You know, without us all, we're always going to be falling short in, in my mind when I see that the standard has been set, the bar is so high. But it's not though, John. I think you're over. It's not that. I mean, it's high, but it's not impossible. So you're part of this world that says, "Oh, the Sermon on the Mount is an impossible ideal," but it's not. Okay. None of this is impossible. Uh, certainly none of it is impossible if you actually are part of a group of people who are all helping each other do it. Yeah. Uh, and certainly if you realize that your salvation is not, your, your um, but how do I say this? Because the, all these words are so baggage. When I say the word <laughs> salvation, I don't mean when you die, you go to heaven. Um, yeah. uh, your right standing with in the eye of God is not determined on what you do. Yeah. Your fruit, your usefulness in this world is determined by what you do. 
that's a helpful distinction okay so whether you're the so god doesn't love you any less if you're not salt and light hmm. but he does say i want you to be salt and light yeah okay and and being salt and light means you are of use in this world you are part of the uh of the goodness and redemption of creation you're not part of the problem yeah i want you to start to work and be agents of creation agents yeah. of redemption how do you work as agents of redemption and creation you don't seek an endless cycle of violence. You don't yeah. always seek revenge. You don't base your life around money. You don't base your life around the exploitation of the poor. You seek to mourn with those who mourn. You don't try and have Lord power over others. Like there's lots of things we can do, which mm. by the way, all of those things are totally possible. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to be a, super, a Jesus to do them, a superhero. People do them all the time. Now they get shat on by the rest of the world all the time. Christians especially don't like people who like Jesus very much. Christians especially are some of the most persecutors of other followers of Jesus. But it's possible. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, the bar is totally high. Uh, uh, but it's uh, not impossible, which is, which is the helpful is the distinction. Narrow is the way. There's an interesting thing. So in Matthew 13, there's a the, the story of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Mm which is a, in some ways it's an answer to the problem of evil of like, what do you do once you've noticed evil? How do you solve it? And Jesus gives his parable, which is you don't try and solve it. If you, there's a field with wheat in it and then somebody comes and puts weeds in it. But if you, and so you're supposed to recognize the difference. All right. Use your judgment, recognize the difference between wheat yeah. and weeds. Good for you. Yeah. You know the difference. Okay. Yeah. Now, what do you do about it? Now that you've identified evil in your midst, now what do you do? And the world, common sense says, oh, you do whatever it takes to root that evil out, right? And Jesus yeah. says, no, let it grow. Because if you spend all your effort trying to get those weeds out, you'll also trample the wheat. So just let it all grow together. And in the fullness of time, truth will come out. They'll be sifted. And I wonder whether there's something here about these false prophets as well. It's Because it's like, know the difference. Know when you're in the presence of a false prophet. And I guess I'm not going to name names, but I'll be honest. The false prophets are almost certainly the sorts of people that you buy their books at the back of large charismatic conferences. Okay. Know that they're false prophets, but don't try and kill them. Hmm. Don't start a new church where you've got rid of them. Like just recognize them that that's what they are. Right. So there's a, a kind of a sense of constantly of like, don't follow them, but don't try and kill them. I mean, we're trying to treat mm. our enemies the way Jesus said treat our enemies. Mm. So I want to get back to this point about yeah. popularity, because I think that that's because I, I think from what I hear you're saying, obviously popularity is a, a tricky one, and like like we've already talked about, you know, it's it's not something to be sought after. But inevitably, there are things that are good and are of God that will gain quote unquote popularity um yes. not necessarily because that person has decided to seek after popularity or give the give the crowd and their itching ears what they want to hear yeah but, but simply because they i don't know for whatever reason they they, they have a platform whatever you want to call it a popularity of yeah. sorts. and i think what it seems to be what you're saying about that is it's not necessarily the, the popularity in and of itself but it's whether it's been the motive for attracting popularity yeah so the popularity comes with it's more like it just comes with dangers that you know have to be aware yes of. it's not like 
It's not like popularity is evidence that you are a false prophet. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying ever it, the idea is that you. Well, I, okay, I do this with. I, I often lead groups of like worship leaders, for example, people yeah. who are you know some of them are household names, some of them have speak to. They, if they put their name on an album, it will sell, right? Or or people will buy tickets just to come to yeah. hear people with their with that name. So yeah, I've spoken yeah. to some of those people before. Yeah, and and about this kind of stuff, and they've been like, well, what do we do about this? Because like there's a whole lot of there's thousands of people in a room yeah is this evidence that i've done something wrong and i yeah. no i yeah. don't think it's evidence you've done something wrong what i mean is it is now a, a fact that comes with its own trials which somebody like me doesn't have to deal with like if i put my yeah. name out on something i don't get ten thousand people wanting to be in a room with me all right but for some of my other people that i'm thinking about when they put their name on something, 10,000 people want to be in a room with them. So what I say to them is, okay, now you have to deal with that crowd of people the way Jesus dealt with crowds of people who wanted to be with him. What did he do? And he punctures, he bursts his own bubble quite often, right? He, mm. he like doesn't play to the crowd or he'll deliberately. So I'm, there was a, 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 a musician I know, she decided to figure out a way to burst her own bubble. <laughs> and she, she, she didn't play the kind of set list that she knew everyone was expecting because she was like, okay, I'm going to change the expectation. I'm going to mess with their expectation a bit. I'm not going to just be part of this machine that's moving forward. And she, she unplugged and she played a, a, an acoustic set rather than a full on whatever. And it was partly because it wasn't like she was bad or that the crowd of people there were bad. It was that she recognized this crowd of people offered represents a, a a temptation right now yeah yeah and i need to be in charge of it i don't want the crowd to be in charge of me i need to be in charge of the crowd and human beings we love to like hide our identity inside of crowds as well and we lose yeah. our our personality we yeah and the idea is like and i've said to these people like the crowd isn't going to puncture itself they want to hide they want to become an anonymous mm -hmm. crowd so you have to do it for them yeah. and i that's something i would say that's super that helpful. You just recognize popularity as coming with a set of challenges. Well, like you, you described it as it is, it is dangerous. It's not something to be yeah. played with or sought after. It's actually, it's almost, um, I can think, you know, of those who are very rich, very wealthy, um, that actually money becomes quite burdensome and becomes quite challenging in lots of different ways. It's not the thing that, is popular you know pe people think of that's that's something that we want yeah having lots of money actually as a christian with money uh and substantial income no and it's, it's burdensome it's a burden right and and uh but the world will tell you oh you have lots of money so that that's the fruits that's evidence yeah. that you're good yes likewise you have lots of people in your church or you've sold lots of units you've shifted a lot of units that's that's the fruits you must be good and jesus is constantly saying no those aren't the fruits. yeah that's helpful those so i like i like the way you describe that as this is just fact yeah you know, that people are quote-unquote popular or lots of people come to things or lots of people go to things or lots of people buy this particular thing mm -hmm. um but that is not not something to be sought after and nor is it something that is that jesus would define as fruit in yeah. the same way that as the passage ends nor the demonstrably kind of ministry uh, actions of delivering um, delivering evil 
um, powerful deeds, yeah. prophesying in his name. None, yeah. Those things equally are not something to be sought after in their own right. They should as, be outworkings of. Yeah. Because they're not the fruits. Right. Those aren't the fruits. Because anyway, I, I just because, and if you think of the natural outworking of that, that the kinds of people that flock to a church movement, which is all about the signs and the wonders and stuff, is is one that's based on growing numbers. It's this idea of this kind of revival idea of like filling mm. the tent or filling the building or creating this mega mass movement. And you're you right away into this idea that numbers are the fruit. Cool. It's happening even in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that, that they're tempted to think that all the signs and wonders leading to lots of people being in the room is itself evidence that they are following the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus just says, these are not the same. And and you've put that side by side with the underground church in persecuted parts of the right. world. Right. And there is no kind of all the externals are not beneficial. In fact, in some ways, the externals will get you killed. You yeah, start doing some of these things, they will get yeah. you killed. They come with all the burdens. Yeah. And so the fruit and and interestingly that's where the church seems to be the most healthy in some ways you know in, in as as an institution is the places of persecution and this is why even in the non-persecuted modern west a lot of sort of switch i think a lot of thoughtful christian leaders will say actually we do got to go small there's something valuable about mm -hmm. going small and not scaling up and not putting everybody together in one room and, and yeah. there's just there is some benefits here and the, and it's them trying to act faithfully on this kind of thing that we're talking about here. Yeah. Like it's not a solution. It doesn't mean that a small church is immediately a, the best church. It doesn't mean that it's a small church also can live without, without any of the fruits. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, so we're not, again, don't commit the the opposite mistake. So if, if one yeah. side thinks that it's big numbers mean that they are good fruits, don't commit the opposite mistake. It says only small numbers produce good fruit. Yeah. The fruits have nothing to do with the numbers. <laughs> yeah. That's what you got to point out. Yeah. We're not counting the amount of apples on the tree. It's just, yeah. is it bearing fruit at all? It's not that. It's, are you, are you obeying the law of Jesus? That's it. And the law of Jesus is not rocket science. It's here in the circle of the mountain. Five, six, and seven. Four, example. Yeah. What a great way to finish. We're going to own, <laughs> we're going to close there. Thank you, Stephen. That was fun, John. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.
your right standing with in the eye of God is not determined on what you do. Yeah. Your fruit, your usefulness in this world is determined by what you do. That's a helpful distinction. Okay. So whether you're the, so God doesn't love you any less if you're not salt and light. Hmm. But he does say, I want you to be salt and light. Yeah. Okay. And, and being salt and light means you are of use in this world. You are part of the, uh, of the goodness and redemption of creation. You're not part of the problem. Yeah. I want you to start to work and be agents of creation, agents yeah. of redemption. How do you work as agents of redemption and creation? You don't seek an endless cycle of violence. You don't yeah. always seek revenge. You don't base your life around money. You don't base your life around the exploitation of the poor. You seek to mourn with those who mourn. You don't try and have Lord power over others. Like there's lots of things we can do, which mm. by the way, all of those things are totally possible. Yeah. You don't need yeah. to be a, super, a Jesus to do them, a superhero. People do them all the time. Now they get shat on by the rest of the world all the time. Christians especially don't like people who like Jesus very much. <laughs> Christians especially are some of the most persecutors of other followers of Jesus. But it's possible. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, the bar is totally high. Uh, uh, but it's uh, not impossible, which is just a helpful the distinction. Narrow is the way. There's an interesting thing. So in Matthew 13, there's a, the, the story of the parable of the wheat and the weeds, mm. which is a, in some ways it's an answer to the problem of evil of like, what do you do once you've noticed evil? How do you solve it? And Jesus gives his parable, which is you don't try and solve it. If you, there's a field with wheat in it and then somebody comes and puts weeds in it. But if you, and so you're supposed to recognize the difference. All right. Use your judgment. Recognize the difference between wheat yeah. and weeds. Good for you. Yeah. You know the difference. Okay. Yeah. Now, what do you do about it? Now that you've identified evil in your midst, now what do you do? And the world, common sense says, oh, you do whatever it takes to root that evil out. Right? And Jesus yeah. says, no, let it grow. Because if you spend all your effort trying to get those weeds out, you'll also trample the wheat. So just let it all grow together. And in the fullness of time, truth will come out they'll be sifted and i wonder whether there's something here about these false prophets as well it's because it's like know the difference know when you're in the presence of a false prophet and i guess i'm not going to name names but I, i'll be honest the false prophets are almost certainly the sorts of people that you buy their books at the back of large charismatic conferences okay know that they're false prophets but don't try and kill them <laughs> Don't start a new church where you've got rid of them. Like, just recognize them, that that's what they are. Right? So there's a, a kind of a sense of constantly of like, don't follow them, but don't try and kill them. I mean, we're trying to treat mm. our enemies the way Jesus said treat our enemies. Mm. 